Uh, If our excuses are good enough, perhaps if we're loud enough, we can convince enough people, and maybe even ourselves, that in the end of the day, we're okay, we're we're in the right. Uh, The problem is that kind of self-justification is pretty damaging for our relationships. Uh, It comes from our pride and it can so easily blind us to our own selfishness the way that we hurt other people. But if this kind of self-justification is kind of damaging in our relationships, uh, it's deadly, actually, in our relationship with God. It's deadly in our relationship with God. Underneath the question of how we can be right with each other, there's a deeper, more fundamental question. How can you be in the right, not just with other people, but with God? And while our excuses, our kind of confidence that we're right... Uh, while our excuses make us, might make us kind of seem okay towards other people, it just can't stack up before God. Uh, the author C.S. Lewis puts it really well. You get there's some words that will come up on the screen, something that C.S. Lewis wrote. He talked about this kind of pride, this tendency to justify ourselves, and he said, In God you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison You do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. (laughs) Friends, we're going to reflect on two encounters with Jesus uh, that we read earlier in the Scriptures. We're going to reflect today on two encounters with Jesus that are recorded for us in the Bible. One we, uh, we had read out during the dedication, the famous story of little children being brought to Jesus. We're going to get to that soon, but Luke, who wrote down these accounts for us, has put that, that story together with another story. He's put it kind of side by side with this other story, this other encounter with Jesus, and together they paint a really surprising, I think, contrast, a really striking contrast between two kind of different ways of answering that question. How can I be right? How can I be in the right? Not only with people around me, but especially, most importantly, with God. How can we be what the Bible calls righteous before God? And you can see the first of these encounters that uh, we had read in verse 9. Jesus tells a parable. He kind of goes to tell a story. A parable is like a story that's meant to kind of draw you in, slap you around a bit and spit you out the other end, seeing the world differently. That's kind of uh, what a parable is meant to be. And we're not left in the dark who this story is for. It should be up on the screen. Verse 9. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. So Jesus tells a story to these people who are around him, this, this encounter with people who are confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. He tells a story, and it's the story of two really different, totally contrasting men, right? Two very different men who pray two very different prayers. The first man that you see in the story as we read it uh, is this Pharisee. He stands apart by himself. You can see that there in verse 10. Two men go up to the temple, one a Pharisee, one a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and you can kind of see him, right? You can imagine this guy going up to the temple to pray You can kind of imagine his chest swelling a little bit, his chin maybe jutting out. 
Uh, and he stands by himself. That's interesting, isn't it? He stands apart from others. He sets himself apart from everyone else. And he prays his prayer. He starts off, I reckon the prayer starts off pretty good. He says, oh God, I thank you. Uh, but normally, uh, when you thank God, normally you would thank God for something about God, right? You'd normally thank God for who he is or what he has done. But that's the last mention of God in the Pharisee's prayer. The last mention of God. The rest is all about him. I thank you, God, that I'm not like others, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. This is a good guy, right? It's a good guy. He's followed God's law. Not only has he followed it, he's gone beyond it. The Old Testament law that the Jewish people of the time were kind of uh, uh, sat under, the Old Testament law doesn't tell believers to fast twice a week. So we're meant to get this picture of this guy. He's not only religious, he's super religious. Okay? He's, he does all the right things and more. If there's anyone who's going to be in the right with God, it's this guy. And then you get the tax collector. Tax collectors were seen as traitors uh, to the Jewish people. He was most likely a cheat, a greedy person who had robbed people, demanded large amounts of money in tax, giving what he was required to to the Roman authorities and sort of skiving off the rest for himself. And while the Pharisee goes towards the temple, you get that picture, right, of the Pharisee, chest out, chin out, thank you God that I'm not like these other people. While the Pharisee does that, you can kind of see this guy's, he walks up to the temple and his chest, he doesn't stick it out, his chest kind of collapses, his back bends over. He sets himself apart too, do you see that? He stands at a distance, but he doesn't stand at a distance because he feels he's better than everyone else. He stands far off, not from other people, but from God. He's under no illusion. Uh, He knows he can't be in the right with God. His sin is too great. And he cries out a simple prayer. Such a contrast to the Pharisee, right? Uh, He doesn't contrast on himself. He doesn't focus on himself at all. He doesn't concentrate on his own goodness. All he says about himself is that he's a sinner. Uh, Someone who has lived their life in rebellion against God. And all he can do is beg, is plead with God for mercy. God, have mercy on me. A sinner. And then you see this scandalous kind of summary at the the end of this passage in verse 14. Jesus brings the point home and it is pretty... uh, We're meant to be shocked by this actually. Uh, Verse 14 says, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. The Pharisee was the one who everyone would have thought, if anyone could get in, it was this guy. But Jesus says the one who was confident in his own righteousness, the one who wanted to justify himself, he actually went home far from God. And the unrighteous one, the one who knew and felt his sin and brokenness, the one who had nothing to offer, he was the one who went home right justified. Now what's going on here? The last sentence in this little passage, this paragraph, uh, Jesus fills this out. He says, before God, if you exalt yourself, all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Before God, if you exalt yourself, 
it shows just how little you know God. If you're exalting yourself before God, it shows just how little you know God. And you will be humbled. Before God, the only proper response is to humble yourself, to lower your eyes, not stick out your chin, and cry out for mercy. So that's scene one, friends. It's kind of a bit confronting, maybe. It's an interesting kind of story, account of this interaction between Jesus and these people who were confident in their own righteousness. The scene changes, though. Jesus, uh, we switch to kind of a total opposite scene. This total opposite scene of these smelly, squawky little babies. Uh, they're being brought to Jesus. These babies are being brought to Jesus. Uh, but the, 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 his disciples, his, his kind of close followers, uh, they had a kind of proud Pharisee mentality about them. No, Jesus is too important. Don't think you can come here with your smelly babies and get in with Jesus. Come on. Uh, well, on one level, and as we, uh, as we kind of, you would have read the story uh, earlier, on one level, this is a great story about Jesus' acceptance of kids, of children in his kingdom. There's lots that we could say about that. But there's actually, there's something else and deeper going on here. Uh, Jesus kind of uses this other encounter with these little kids who are being brought to him. He uses this other encounter as a kind of picture. He uses it as a kind of picture to show what God's kingdom is like, to show what it looks like to be in God's, in the right with God, uh, especially to show how you become part of this kingdom. In other words, how you can be in the right with God. And you can see there, verse 16. Verse 16, Jesus called the children to him and he said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. There's a bit of a strange... Oh, what's, what's Jesus getting at here? Uh, is he suggesting that we should all kind of start rolling around sucking on milk bottles? No. Uh, what is it? What, what is it that babies are experts at? What is it that babies are experts at? What do they do the best? They receive. You know they're better, but they receive. They don't think to themselves as much as perhaps we might like them to. They don't think to themselves now. What do I need to do in order to earn my parents' affection this week? I better start changing my own nappies, putting myself to sleep, and certainly never crying at two a.m. in the morning. As much as you might want them to do that, that's not how it works, not, and you know it's not how it should work. Babies have nothing to contribute, nothing to earn your favour. They just lie there and receive. <laughs> and it's wonderful, right? Uh, in total contrast to the proud, self-righteous Pharisee who offers himself and his works, Jesus' kingdom is about being a humble dependent receiver, not a proud doer. The thought of being a dependent receiver can be pretty hard for us, I think. <laughs> uh, the thought that we, uh, especially if we're grown up a little bit and we've had to kind of make it for ourselves in the world. But as far as God is concerned, Jesus shows us that being this kind of dependent receiver is actually a one, is wonderful news. And incredibly liberating. It's good news for us today. 
Uh, you see, the tax collector in the first story, the tax collector, he actually had it right. He knew that he had nothing to bring to God. He, he knew what C.S. Lewis was getting at in that quote we read. When he was confronted with God's goodness and his greatness, he knew that in comparison he was nothing. He had nothing to point at and say, look God, look at all of this that I have done. Surely you owe me now. He simply knew how far he was from God. He simply knew his sin and all he could do was cry out to receive mercy. But do you see what Jesus is saying here? That the path of self-confidence, the path of self-confidence is in the end a dead end. Especially when you come up against God. Particularly when you come up against God. But wonderfully, friends, incredibly, unbelievably, there is a confidence that we can have before God. There is a confidence that we can have. Not the confidence of those who are confident in their own righteousness. <laughs> Not the confidence of the proud doer. But the same kind of confidence that you see Asher has with Craig and Chantel. <laughs> the confidence of a totally trusting receiver. How can we have this kind of childlike confidence to receive God's kingdom? Well, in the parable Jesus told, you might have picked it up, there's this kind of bright ray of hope in that parable. Right at the end, those who humble themselves, Jesus says, will be exalted. He doesn't say those who humble themselves might be exalted, maybe if, Jesus, if God's feeling like it on the day. You know, if he has a good day, if he's got out of the right side of the bed. No, he says, they will be Jesus wants us to know there is a confidence possible with God. It can't be in ourselves, right? That's been established. <laughs> it can't be in ourselves, in our own righteousness. It is a confidence in his mercy. It is God's heart to be merciful. Of course, this story is not the end of the story here. We're kind of dipping into one little snapshot, two encounters with Jesus but that fits into the greater story that Luke is telling, this, this account of Luke is telling, that sees Jesus himself as the full expression of God's mercy. The tax collector cries out for mercy. Uh, Luke, Jesus himself, and Luke's gospel is kind of designed to show us that, Jesus himself is the expression of God's mercy. He was the one person, he was the one person who could have had confidence in his own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, right? He would have been right to do that. God himself come into his world, but he didn't grasp hold of that. He made himself nothing. He humbled himself, not only to enter his creation, but to die for it, bearing the sin and unrighteousness of his people on himself. And the wonderful news of the Bible is that because of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection to new life, friends, there is a way to be right with God. In the right, in Jesus, God has had mercy on you, a sinner, if you will receive it. We don't need to work our way into his favour. We simply hold out our hands to receive like a dependent baby with its parent. 
Perhaps today, friends, you've realised maybe you've kind of seen a bit of a mirror for yourself, maybe even in that proud person who stuck his chest out and walked to, up to God. Maybe you see yourself, a little bit of yourself in that, this confidence in your own righteousness. Probably a good way to kind of tell that, maybe a good diagnosis of that is in that first story. How, how much are your thoughts taken up with looking down on other people? How critical are you? How much do you find your, yourself in the Pharisees' shoes? Thank God I'm not like that person. If that's you, then I think we need to hear Jesus' real warning here. As long as you are looking down in pride instead of looking up in humble childlike dependence, you will never enter God's kingdom. Jesus tells this story and this part of the Bible is written to invite you to see things properly. If only you saw yourself rightly, you'd know that in reality you were actually the tax collector, not the Pharisee. Maybe more respectable, but no closer to God. If only the Pharisee saw himself clearly, he'd know he was in that, the same shoes as the tax collector. Perhaps today, even, even friends, even for the first time, perhaps you will humble yourself to see that. The great hope of these encounters with Jesus that we're reading, the great hope in them is that it is possible to go home justified today. Not because you're confident in your own righteousness, but because you've humbled yourself like a child to receive, to receive God's mercy, to receive the kingdom of God, his great gift of forgiveness and new life through Jesus' death and resurrection. Perhaps, but on the other hand, so perhaps it's you, but perhaps on the other hand, you, you know that, and maybe you feel actually you're more like the tax collector than the Pharisee. Instead of tending to be proud of your own righteousness, perhaps you tend to be weighed down by your unrighteousness, your own brokenness, your own sin. Uh, friends, God's word speaks so clearly today. Know that God's mercy, God's mercy is not something that you need to be worried about. You can cast yourself on his mercy, not only once, but every single moment. Every day you can cast yourself on his mercy. You can do that not anxious about whether he'll give it or not, because he already has fully expressed and poured out his mercy on you in Jesus, in his death on the cross for you, and his resurrection to new life for you. Being part of God's, God's kingdom means receiving that, what has already been done and that will never change. Friends, I'm going to pray for us as we finish reflecting on these things, and then, um, then uh, Alex will come and pray, continue in prayer. But let's uh, just pause and pray. Father, give us a glimpse, we pray, by your Spirit of your greatness today, your holiness. Help us to see ourselves rightly, uh, to know that it's only those who receive, not who in our pride and arrogance, try to earn or contribute, but only those who, like little children, receive your great gift of mercy who are part of your kingdom. Father, humble us before you and lift us up by your grace. Father, we pray for those 
We do pray, Father, that in your mercy you will humble us. We pray for those who might be weighed down, though, that you might lift us up in the knowledge of your, your kindness in Jesus. Thank you for the once and for all expression of your love and your forgiveness and mercy. Thank you that you have achieved it in Jesus at the cross. Thank you that it's available for all who call on you. We do call on you today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.